literally every location in Australia, property prices are currently growing. That has not happened in this country for 17 years. And that's not to say they're all growing at the same pace, but they are all growing. Yes, it's causing some frustration in different sectors, but overall, it's an exciting time. Make the most of it because you may never see these conditions again in your life. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of elite agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. To download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links, and shortcuts, visit eliteagentelevate.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Propertyology Managing Director, Simon Presley. As a market analyst, Simon has correctly forecast a number of the big trends in the property market that others didn't quite pick, including the recent post-COVID boom. Simon's also a three-time Australian Buyers Agent of the Year winner, an REIA Hall of Fame inductee, and a qualified property investment advisor. So Simon, welcome to the show. Hi, Sam. Thank you very much for having me back. We were just talking, it's about a year to the day that you and I had a, a webinar with none other than Douglas Driscoll of Star Partners, where we were talking about exactly that, like what the market was going to do post-COVID. And I think at the time, there was a lot of doom and gloom type reports. All the banks were saying that everything was going to fall off a cliff. And you got on the webinar and said, nope, it's not going to do any of those things. So do you remember back to that time, your prediction? I don't think I'll ever forget, Sam, because it was a period of a few months that I don't think I've been criticised any more than that period of time in my life. Every single bank in Australia and probably 95% of Australia's economists all said not just a downturn, but according to most of it, it was going to be the biggest downturn in the history of our country. And I said the complete, not only disagree with the downturn, but I said it's going to be a boom in a bloody big one. And everyone called me an idiot. But anyway, here we are today. Here we are today and you were right. That must give you just a little bit of joy to say, well, hang on a second, like I wasn't as crazy as you thought I was. Yeah, look, I don't know what it is, but we don't seek to be different. But almost always what we forecast is the opposite to whatever the consensus is saying at the time. I mean, back in 2014, we picked Hobart as what was going to be the best performed capital city in Australia and people laughed at us. We then said that large parts of regional Australia would outperform all their capital cities and that happened and people criticised us for that. And then we said that we're going to come out of COVID with a pretty big boom. So anyway, keep pie on the criticism is all I say. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So just for people that may not know you, in my intro, I, I gave a bit of a rundown on some of your awards and things like that. But what do you do normally on a day to day basis? Like what's your day job? My primary role is forecasting property markets and the purpose of doing that, propertyologies buyers agents. We operate in a niche space, Sam, where we help people choose where in Australia to invest and then our buyers agents find the right property. So my contribution to that individual investment property is which part of Australia they buy a piece of real estate in. Yeah, because it's not like you can well, you can buy real estate anywhere these days and the pandemic proved that is you can buy and sell online without even seeing a property anymore. 
Yeah, and obviously when you're buying, when you're transacting in real estate and it's not in your hometown, there's a lot of thought that needs to go. We're still going to do the same quality controls that you or I would do buying a property in our own hometown. But just because we're not in the town that we buy the property in, it doesn't mean it's not possible to do those quality controls. We've been doing this since before the GFC, so it's tried and tested. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to get on to some of your predictions for the future again, because seeing as you've been proven right on a number of occasions, we will get to that. But I just want to backtrack a little bit first. Like in the COVID lockdown, you were very sure that prices would rise rather than fall. What made you so sure? We followed exactly the same process when COVID arrived as what we do all day, every day. And it is a process. There's, I've always described the property market of an individual town or city as like one big jigsaw puzzle. There's lots and lots of pieces to this jigsaw puzzle and we need to get all those pieces, bring them together and it shapes a picture. And the picture's either going to have lots of blue sky or some clouds coming in or it could be really, really dark. So we followed that, that same process when COVID arrived. But I guess one of the most important things that I think all the other people missed is that property shelter. Property is not a dot on a computer screen or a number in a spreadsheet. It is shelter and coronavirus is a virus. It's something in the air. It's not a property market. And whilst it caused all this enormous disruption, stuff that none of us have ever seen before, we're still bunkering down in shelter. We still needed shelter. And this time, 12 months ago, Australia had an all-time record low number of properties listed for sale and an all-time record low number of properties listed for rent. That was something that I placed enormous value on when we forecast how would Australian property markets respond is that we're still going to live somewhere. And whilst it made sense to us that there would be less people who had the confidence to transact in property because of all the disruption, there still would be some people transacting in real estate and they're going to have very few properties to pick from. So it's a bit of an interesting time now. It's almost like everyone got Christmas out of the way and now everyone's come out of the gates and they've all got plans to move. I mean, we executed on our plan to move just like many other people. What do you see happening in the market right now? All things being equal, and what I mean by that is that there's no left field major macro change that because it hasn't happened, I can't factor it into any forecast. So all, with what we know here and now today, I think that Australia is currently 12 months into the second biggest boom in Australian history. Officially, the biggest boom in our history was the five years ending 2005. Some people might remember that. There'll be others who are alive but weren't old enough back then to have transacted in real estate. What happened in that five-year period of time, Sam, was there were 128 individual Australian towns and cities that the median house price more than doubled in five years. Put some perspective around that. The last big boom that Sydney and Melbourne had, which ended in 2017, their median house price increased by about 65%. So that was a pretty big boom. The five-year period that I'm talking about, 128 individual towns and cities had more than 100% increase in property price growth. So there's some locations that saw a 120 or a 140% rise in just five years. The boom that we're in now, I don't think it, it will reach those levels, but I do think it will be the next biggest boom that Australia's ever seen. Interesting. There'll be a lot of real estate agents out there probably thinking that this is a really good thing. Do you see any areas that you believe will perform better than others? 
Each year on New Year's Day, we release our annual property market outlook report. In that, we said that we felt that at least five out of our eight capital cities would produce double-digit growth this year. I see no reason three months on to change that, that forecast. But we also said that in excess of 40 regional locations will have 20% or more capital growth in this calendar year. And I certainly see no reason to change that. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with auctions at the moment because we're seeing some pretty impressive clearance rates. Like certainly I can't remember the last time that we were sort of consistently above 80% on a preliminary basis. I think we're on a seven-week streak right now. Do you see that continuing? I do, but there's going to come a point in time for every location in Australia, although this won't happen um, on the same day for every location, but there will come a point in time when the volume of properties listed for sale gets back to more normal levels. There's not a location anywhere in Australia today, Sam, that does not have significantly low volumes of properties listed for sale. I think Sydney and Melbourne might be among the first to get back to more normal levels. Now, I've got my crystal ball can't tell me what date that might be. Um, <laughs> potentially in the back end of this year at somewhere. But other parts of Australia, the volume of properties listed for sale may be at these really low levels for some years yet. Why I think Sydney and Melbourne will get back to more normal levels earlier than some other cities, I think well, a lot more people than normal leaving Sydney and Melbourne at the moment. And once that's done, it's done. But also those two economies, and we said this time last year, that Sydney and Melbourne were going to be the two most vulnerable locations from an economic sense from covid for a couple of main reasons, they're our two most congested cities, so they're always going to be more vulnerable to lockdown and people wanting to move away from lockdown risks. But also, they're more than any other location, they're heavily reliant on overseas business and it looks like our international borders will be closed for some time yet. That is interesting. What sort of an impact do you see the closure of international borders having on the various markets around Australia? At the moment, it's not having a great impact because to us, this was always going to happen. There's been a very positive response from every state government and our federal government, Reserve Bank, APRA. There's just been this concerted effort. Human beings don't like losing. We don't cop a crisis on the chin. We always respond. We like to win. And so that reaction, and there's be a few years of positive effect from this. That reaction has sort of counteracted any potential negative impacts from the international border being closed. But there's going to come a time sometime soon, I think, that Australia is going to need to make a, a really tough decision about that international border. At the moment, I think we're just trying to buy some time with getting enough people vaccinated to have the confidence of letting some more people in. So putting your buyer's agent hat back on, we've heard a lot about buyers in the news lately. It's almost like property is the equivalent of what toilet paper was in March last year. <laughs> That's a good analogy. And, and there's more buyers than there is toilet paper, aka property. What trends are you seeing and hearing amongst your clients who are looking at property right now? It's a great question. And the answer, it's, it's very widespread. And that's one of a few things that makes this boom so unique. It's not driven like the Sydney and Melbourne boom we were talking about earlier, Sam, that ended in 2017. That was predominantly driven by investors. It was actually started with foreign buyers until they were sort of taxed out of the market. But they created the initial momentum. And then especially in Sydney, it was a lot of existing Sydney residents that decided to become active investors in the Sydney market. This boom is very different to that. Investors have actually been the very last of the buyer demographic to the party. 
investor volumes today are at all-time record lows. That's about to change. But in no particular order, what's the different buyer demographics at the moment, there's a lot of people upgrading their family home. They're taking advantage of the equity that they already had combined with these record low interest rates and saying, even without increasing my mortgage payment, I can now afford a a nicer property, either a bigger home or a higher quality home. So they're putting pressure on. We've got all-time record high participation from first-home buyers. The last time first-home buyers were ever any near this level was back in 2009 when there was some stimulus for first-home buyers coming out of the GFC. We've now surpassed what was the record for that. We've got a lot of people relocating. Now, people move from town to town every single year, but in the last 12 months, I'd suggest that we've never seen a higher number of Australians moving town than what we've seen. And that's going to continue this year as well, primarily because of lockdowns or primarily because of working from home. There are some people who have decided in the last six or 12 months to make that work from home thing a permanent decision. Originally, it was the only way they could earn an income. So, of course, they did it. But the longer they did it, the more they liked it. And then some of those people have sort of gone one step further and said, well, if I'm going to work from home forever, why don't I move my home to the idyllic location? So they might have moved. I know if people have moved from Brisbane to Noosa, for example. But that's widespread. You talk to real estate agents in Cairns, and they'll tell you that there's been families bought homes in Cairns that have moved from Melbourne. Literally all over Australia, that's happened. So, yeah, there's lots of different buyer demographics. And as I said, we haven't seen the investor activity do much yet, but that's the space that my business operates in and we've never been busier. I was going to say, so let's talk about investors at the moment because they've been on the rear end of a few raw deals with eviction moratoriums and coming up, I think Job Seeker and Job Keeper has ended this week or it does end this week. To date this podcast, this is the 30th of March, so it, it's it's going to be over shortly. What is the future for investors, like with vacancy rates at quite a, a high in places like Sydney and Melbourne? What do you see happening for investors in the next couple of years? The rental market is a fascinating paradox. As you correctly said, Sydney and Melbourne currently have all-time record high vacancy rates. At those two cities alone represent 40% of Australia's population. But yet the number of dwellings advertised for rent today, 75% of Australia's total number of properties advertised for rent are in those two cities. The other, if we think of Australia as as a pie, Sydney and Melbourne are 40% of the pie. The rest of Australia is 60% of the pie. So the other 60% of the pie have the opposite problem to what Sydney and Melbourne have. They have all-time record low vacancy rates. There's no such thing as a vacant property. That 60% of Australia's population are competing for only 25% of our rental pool. So rents are going through the roof. If you're a tenant living somewhere other than Sydney and Melbourne, and you've been in that same dwelling for some time, the odds are you're paying the same rent now as what you were 18 months ago. But if you've been looking to move, there are some people who are literally living in their car or living in a tent or finding someone who's kind enough to say, you can sleep on my couch, but that's only for a couple of weeks. You, you still need to make your own. And that is crisis stuff. That is not, that is un-Australian. And that is not a one-off location. That is widespread throughout Australia that are people are living like that. I'm not talking about someone who's homeless. I'm talking about someone who's got often plenty of money and a good job, 
but there is nothing available to rent. So how does that affect investors? Your rental yields are high and your rents are rising sharply at a time when your biggest expense, your interest rate, has never been lower. So we've got lots of clients who might even be buying an investment property with 100% finance. So the deposit monies will be coming from equity in the family home, for example, but yet they don't have to put their hand in their pocket for a single dollar to support that investment property. The rental income is covering everything. That's never happened in Australian history, Sam. So that's really exciting. And we know that asset values, there's a lot of pressure on the asset values. So they're rising from day one. So if, if you were an agent right now in, in the regional areas, what sort of conversations would you be having with your clients, both owner-occupiers and investors? Let's start with owner-occupiers. Yeah. So the agents, I guess their problem is they earn little income if they don't have stock. And that's the sad reality for the, for the agents at the moment. They've got plenty of buyers, but they've got no stock on the shelf to offer those buyers. If Now, I don't sell property. I work on the buyer's side. But if I did sell property, I would be trying to find buyers who are prepared to offer the owner of that property. So let's say you've got someone who's an owner-occupier, and this is a real situation right across Australia. You've got people who owner-occupiers who want to move, but they won't put their property on the market, which is why we've got so much upward pressure on property prices. There's just no stock listed for sale. They won't put their property in the market because there's nothing they can find to move into. And this is a really big thing, right? We've got to live somewhere. So subconsciously, they've made the decision that they want to move, but no one knows that they've made that decision that they want to move because there's no evidence to show that the property is for sale. So if I'm the real estate agent, I'm going to be having discussion with that owner and saying, what if I can find a buyer who's prepared to pay fair market price for your property and sign a rental agreement with you that they'll buy it from you at a good price today and rent it back to you for, say, three months, and whether that rents at market rate or even a discount to market rate. That's what Propertyology would do to that buyer. So we'll buy that property from you, and we'll give you three months to find a place to move into. And what about if you're talking to an investor at the moment? What sort of conversations or pointers would you give agents for talking to investors? Yeah, we're talking to investors every day. And what we're saying to them is that there's two really strong emotions at the moment. One of them is excitement and the other is intense frustration. The excitement is that for most people, the upward pressure on their asset values is something that they've never seen before. 10 to 20%, maybe even higher growth in one year is not normal. That's the exciting bit. The frustrating bit is what might have normally taken us somewhere between one and three weeks to find that right property for them. Now is taking a couple of months. And we've got some people that we've been looking for the right property since November. That's frustrating for people. Yeah, especially in an environment where days on market just seems to be shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Yeah. Yeah. So the investor needs to understand the conditions that they're transacting in. And if you think that there's a bargain to be had, well, you're going to be waiting forever and the market will just continually pass you by. So you need to be prepared to not only meet the market, but to actually get in a market like this quickly. You need to be prepared to pay a little bit over odds. And that's not something that comes natural to someone when you're buying property. But if, if you just you know, want to muck around at the edges and take your chances, the odds are that you'll continually miss out on properties. And if it takes an extra three months to get in the market, some markets in that three-month period of time, Sam, might have moved by five to eight percent. That could be, well, that will be tens of thousands of dollars. So if you wind the clock back, 
and look at that, the property you missed out on by five or 10 grand three months ago, you would have been better paying over odds and getting in because you would have already made up for it the way that the market's moving at. Yeah, exactly. It is moving super, super, super fast. I mean, speaking of which, over recent weeks, there's been talk that credit restrictions could be imposed a little bit later in the year to cool the market somewhat. Do you see that as being a likely scenario? Very interesting timing of that question. Credit restrictions, that's a genuine fear. Why it's a fear is because APRA, who have the power to do this, have form. It's what they did in response to the boom in Sydney and Melbourne. I've spent the last three weeks of my life, Sam, writing a very detailed report that 10 days ago was submitted to the federal government and the Reserve Bank of Australia, saying that I've heard the murmurs from a few economists saying that APRA need to intervene here, and please do not do that. The problems that we've been talking about before you ask this really great question about rental crisis, about no stock on market, resale supply, we've traced this back looking at evidence. The number one cause of that is APRA. It's not COVID. I can prove it to you by showing evidence in a chart, a trend line in a chart. All the, 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 the rental crisis, the no properties listed for sale is caused by a series of decisions, not one decision, but APRA was the biggest and their tightening of credit was actually three major decisions over about a four-year period of time, which was also mixed up with two federal elections that had negative gearing front and centre in the election campaign. So the problem that is all around Australia at the moment of no properties listed for sale has come from the nothing to do with um, us Australia not building enough properties. It's not that we don't have enough properties in Australia. We don't have enough properties listed for sale. And why that is, is each and every time there was one of these major decisions by whether it was APRA or fear of negative gearing being scrapped or anything else, those who owned the property and might have been considering selling went, oh, hang on a minute, now's not a good time. So they put it off. Just as they were starting to get some confidence and thought it seems to have settled down, I'll list it, bang, along come another decision. And each one of these decisions was by some goose in Canberra who obviously thought that they were doing the right thing, but they've caused an enormous amount of harm. What they need to do is keep their powder dry. It's actually not a bad thing when property prices rise. I know it doesn't benefit everybody, but nothing benefits everybody. There's a lot more good that comes out of prices going up than going down. Let's put it that way. So those who feel an urge to respond to prices going up by tightening credit, well, that's what caused the mess that we've just been talking about. So how was repeating that same decision going to improve things. I'm scared to think what might happen if APRA did intervene. It's interesting, the topic of intervention, because Australia is one of the most intervened in economies, I think, in the world with things like APRA and the government and all the the Reserve Bank and, and other instruments like that. It's a bit like when I think last year people talked about scrapping stamp duty And the mere mention of it is enough for people to think they'll just sit and wait on their hands to see if it is scrapped or if it's not scrapped. And it ends up doing more harm than good too. 
Yeah. Australia's always had this problem, but it seems to have got worse since technology become available because we've all got so much information at fingertips now. So someone doesn't need to be a, an opinion of authority. It's just someone's opinion and then it's spread and everyone's digesting and spreading that same opinion. The thing that people need to always understand about real estate is it sits bang in the center of everything in our lives. It's our home. It has such an, an enormous impact on economies. You're right, if anybody, if we don't have confidence in the value of our home, then that affects our own confidence, our consumer confidence, which affects how our household budget is spent, which triggers into retail spending. When there's a smaller volume of properties that are transacted in each year, stamp duty is the biggest revenue maker for every state government, which is how we fund our roads and our train lines and our hospitals and our universities. So all these things are connected. And when there's a series of decisions that are made over a period of time that are constantly squeezing real estate, you are squeezing the human brain. And progressively, we just get more and more fearful, less and less confident, and it affects everything. So an efficient system is one that is predictable to humans, that we know what the ground rules are, and we can have confidence that someone's not going to come along every five minutes and, and put their finger in something each and every time. And I just hope, because we're likely to have a federal election at some stage in the next 12 months, and I just hope for the sake of 26 million Australians that real estate is not another political football like it was the last two times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to switch lanes for a moment because there's probably just occurred to me that there's probably a lot of agents listening to you thinking, geez, it'd be good to work with a buyer's agent like Simon Presley. <laughs> what would be your tips for agents out there who would like to work with a buyer's agent and what are your tips for connecting and building those strong relationships with guys like you? I mean, look, there are some real estate agents who despise buyer's agents, which is a shame, but the buyer's agent's profession have got to take some responsibility there because there probably are a couple of buyer's agents that have you know, left some sales agents with a bad experience. At the end of the day, we want deals done the same as the sales agent want deals done and we're professional buyers. So the sales agents who are prepared to build a relationship with a buyer's agent, you know, I think you'll find that most buyer's agents are really good operators are professional people, are honest people. We want the right outcome for our buyer the same as you want the right outcome for your vendor. But at the end of the day, we both want to get the deal done. So yeah, please give buyers agents a go. That's what I say. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And what's ahead for Propertyology this year? What are you up to at the moment and what are your plans for the rest of 2021? We're busy trying to keep on top of things. I mean, in a normal period of time, and this is by no means normal, we're usually actively helping people invest in somewhere between three and five different towns and cities somewhere in Australia. Right here and now, Sam, we're active in 10 different towns and cities across four different states. Just imagine the logistics. There's a lot involved trying to buy one property, even if it's in your hometown. What I've described to you is we're doing it in 10 different towns and four different states real estate legislation at the moment. So that keeps us um, on our toes, it's fair to say. I was going to say the legislation involved in four different states is just mind-boggling. You never know. One day, I feel like it's like making fetch happen, but we may have a uniform legislation one day. Who knows? It'd be nice to think, but sadly, I can't see it happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I just want to thank you for joining us again today. It's always great to chat to you and it's always great to hear your perspectives and things like that. And I do love talking to people who study the data and love to bring it to life like you have. 
If there was one thing or one thought that you'd like to leave our audience with today, what would it be? Make hay. What we're seeing now, it's 17 years. Literally every location in Australia, property prices are currently growing. That has not happened in this country for 17 years. That's not to say they're all growing at the same pace, but they are all growing. Yes, it's causing some frustration in different sectors, but overall, it's an exciting time. Make the most of it because you may never see these conditions again in your life. Yeah, absolutely. That is really good advice, Simon Presley. Thank you so much. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts. Visit EliteAgentElevate.com.